Hey everyone, welcome back to this week's episode, Game Talk Radio. I am your host, Greg, as I am every single week. How are you all today? You doing good? I hope you're all doing good. I'm doing great. I don't really have any complaints, you know, I'm a little, st- I had a long weekend, long, long working weekend. Um, Dave and Dom were both out of town for the weekend, so it was me and the, and our part-time crew, which always makes things a little more challenging because they can't do quite as much as obviously the main management can do. Um, but it worked, you know, it wasn't too bad. Uh, we had those crazy storms on Saturday. We actually, it was funny. We were all there and, you know, it was getting a little darker. And if you're, you know, around central eastern Wisconsin or central Wisconsin, you'll know what I'm talking about because you were, you probably lived through it, hopefully lived through it. I suppose you're not listening to this if you didn't live through it. Um, so it was getting a little darker, you know, we're looking out like, oh, that's kind of crazy. And the rain started picking up like, all right, it's not so bad, whatever. And we're just kind of watching it. And the store got really slow at that point. Like it had been kind of busy in the morning and then it just slowly tapered off. You could tell something was going on. Like it's, it's like when you're in the woods and, and, you know, in the movies and, and the birds, like there's no, there's no noise. There's no birds. There's no sounds. And then all of a sudden, like the rats start running and the birds start flying away. Like you knew something was coming. You kind of got that feeling. And, uh, so we're there and then all of a sudden the rain's getting heavier and I remember looking outside, actually the door opened. I was looking outside, like, oh, this is pretty cool. It's like, it's, it wasn't raining that hard yet, but I was like, this is pretty cool. And then a van pulled up and, uh, a couple kids and the parents got out and were like, Hey, you know, can we, can we just pop in? I'm like, Oh yeah, yeah. We're not closed or anything. Come on in. And they had been driving and it was getting worse, you know? So they decided to, to pull off and stop at a store. So they thought, well, Hey, let's stop at like the coolest store. If you're going to get stuck in a store. The coolest store to get stuck in would probably be my store. <laughs> um, and so we were there, you know, we're just chatting a little bit, maybe 10 minutes or so. We're talking about things. We're talking about the store, talking about Nintendo's, getting his old Nintendo fixed up, stuff like that. And then all of a sudden I look outside and the rain is just straight going sideways. And it is darker than it was before. And I looked and then all of a sudden you could just see the wind had picked up so much. Like from when they walked in, there was almost no wind to now there was rain whipping sideways wind. And so I, I looked at it and said, you know, I'm not, I'm not much, I'm not one for being an alarmist, but I said, let's, uh, let's get away from the windows and let's actually stand near the doors. So we actually had, we have our, our bathroom and our, our back room are <clears throat> kind of close to each other. And so we opened the doors and we just kind of stood near the doorways in case we needed to take cover or something. And, uh, and so we sat there a little bit and it was, it was maybe only about 10 or 15 minutes and, and, uh, their kids were pretty good. You know, they were a little restless, but they were pretty good. And then um, me and the and the dad were talking a lot about game stuff, and we we gave the little kids a couple like Disney Infinity and Skylander toys to play with, just something so that they weren't like scared, you know. And and it was it was it was, you know, I I, I made the joke. I was like, oh, I love weather like this, you know, except for the impending possibility of my whole life's work and my life's dream going up in smoke, <laughs> getting destroyed in an instant. But um, obviously we didn't have a tornado one, I believe touched down near freedom and then started moving towards De Pere, which, uh, you know, is that's a long way for a tornado to go to get here. And thankfully didn't get here or anything. And, you know, after that 10 or 15 minutes, the sky got lighter, the wind stopped, the rain stopped. And that was it. And then on the Doppler, you could see that like, it was, it was like another hour or two. It was probably going to be another like, angry storm coming and it never came it never came it must have dissipated before it got to us but it was wild i mean tons of people in green bay without power my parents were without power for three days uh they live in central wisconsin they got it back finally um but yeah so a lot of places lost power dave's house lost power i think for the day saturday we got lucky at the store we didn't lose it i didn't lose it at my house 
Um, but even that was scary too, because my wife was here by herself on Saturday, you know, and so she's huddled in the bathroom with our cats and you're just like, oh, I wish I was at home. You know, I, I would want to be with my family, but, um, <laughs> if, if, if the sweet release of death is coming for me to take me away, please let it be with my family. <laughs> if a tornado is going to sweep me up into oblivion, I'd like to be sucked up with my wife and my cats. Um, so, but yeah, it was wild, you know, and if you were here in the storms, it was, it was something, you know, and, and we, you know, in the Midwest, you get tornadoes. We don't typically get a lot of tornadoes around here. I mean, we do get wicked storms every now and then one touches down, but it's uncommon here. And it, it definitely felt like it was coming. It, 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 you could feel something, uh, in the air. So it was, uh, it, it was, it was pretty wild. It was, it was cool. Like I love storms like that, but it was, uh, you know, <laughs> it was just, you know, it was just one of those uh, moments that ended up being nothing, but it was still still cool. You know, it's still cool and still scary and still, you know, <clears throat> reminds you of your own mortality and and uh, and how quickly things can change in life. So, you you know, you always want to make sure you take advantage of every day. And and as much as you can, you you, you have to work to live, but then you, don't, you have to not forget to live, you know, and enjoy enjoy life as it comes to you in any way you can. And I know it's tough for some people as they have a hard time finding things to live for and to, to be happy for, but that's, that's the game, isn't it really? <clears throat> Just to, to find your bliss in, in wherever it is. Uh, so with that being said, we've got uh, two things I want to talk about today. One, we're going to talk about this uh, Nintendo Joy-Con drifting issue, which uh, has finally become a big problem because Kotaku did an article on it <laughs> as if it wasn't a problem for the last two years. But finally, someone at Kotaku got a bug up their ass about it, and magically, how amazing it, it is once you know a news uh, site decides to cover a story and how it actually grows. And then we have—I uh, just want to go over the Marvel stuff from San Diego Comic Con. So that was San Diego Comic Con was this last week weekend, and uh, they revealed all of Marvel's uh, what they call Phase Four. And they talked about their TV shows and their movies. So we're going to talk a little bit about what they announced, what they are releasing, and when it's coming. And that's going to be pretty awesome. And then I have my game of the week picked out for you. Uh, it's 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 a sleeper <clears throat> and a banger all at the same time. Uh, then I have my pickup pile of the week. Uh, back by popular demand since last week, I literally somehow didn't have anything for a whole week. Well, we're back. We're back, baby. We got games again. And... Uh, and then I have a user question this week as well. Excuse me, a listener question. I don't know why I say user question. It's almost like I'm game dev or something. No, it's a listener question. Someone who listens to the podcast has a question. Um, and, uh, yeah, so with that being said, um, we're going to hit it and, and we'll get going. So first up on the podcast today, we have to address this Nintendo Joy-Con drift issue. Um, if you don't know what this is, basically drifting in a controller is when the analog stick makes, albeit a very subtle movement, makes a movement all by itself. So while you'll have the analog stick in its neutral position, not touching it, you'll play a game, especially something that's got sensitive controls, and you'll see it slightly move. Um, it is an issue across the board. Um, in fact, most PS3 controllers that come in drift. Uh, we can't buy them anymore. There's not really an easy fix for it or a worthwhile fix, I should say. Some PS4 controllers drift. It's not very common. Um, some Xbox One controllers drift. Not very common. Um, those systems do require a little bit more abuse to get them to drift. Um, and the Joy-Cons seem to be the most common as far as 
new hardware goes. So the story, though, this came out on Kotaku last week, and the story was Joy-Con drift is becoming a real problem on the Switch. And I jokingly said this at the beginning of the podcast, but it's funny how it's now becoming a real problem. It's becoming a real problem because someone at Kotaku says so, as opposed to it's been a problem since it launched. And it, and it has. Uh, we've seen it. We've I've talked to so many customers with this issue. Uh, I myself have not had the issue, but I don't usually use my Joy-Cons. I use a Pro Controller almost exclusively. So uh, I've never had it. In fact, I, maybe I do. I could probably hook my Joy-Cons up right now and see if I have drift at all. Um, they might. <laughs> I, don't, I really don't know. Uh, we sold a used one one time, and oh, two weeks later, someone came in and said they were drifting, and we had to replace the Joy-Cons on that. So, with that being said, uh, like I said, drift is a, a subtle movement. Essentially, you could argue it's a calibration issue, but really what it is is something is causing the sensors in the stick to think that it's being pressed and it slightly moves on its own. Well, you can understand how this would be a problem. It's also a problem, by the way, on the Vita, um, a problem which I was actually able to solve in a similar way that I was able to solve the Joy-Con drift problem, which we'll talk about, uh, but it's a temporary solution. You know, it's not permanent because really it's a, it's a Band-Aid. You need to figure out what's wrong with it so you can fix it hopefully in the future. That's what Nintendo needs to do um, in this, you know, issue. And who knows, and maybe they are. You know, maybe Nintendo with their new Switch iteration that's got the better battery life, maybe they've addressed the Joy-Con drift problem and we just don't know about it yet. Maybe they're just not ready to talk about it yet. Uh, we don't know. Maybe they don't want to admit that it's that widespread of a problem. And who knows, maybe it isn't. I have to argue when articles like this start popping up and you see so much. I know it's anecdotal, but you see so many people with the problem. I personally have dealt with so many people with the problem that I know it's a real problem. And while it's certainly not as bad as, say, the Xbox 360 Red Ring of Death, it's up there in in people I talk to about having an issue with Joy-Cons. It's, it's, if I had to guess... 30 to 40% of customers I've talked to switch owners have had this problem. Um, again, that's not scientific at all, but I'm just saying like anecdotally from my perspective. And so this, uh, the article goes on to say, recently I've been doing nothing but playing the upcoming Switch game Fire Emblem Three Houses. To finish the game in time for my upcoming review, I too have started noticing something funny about my Joy-Con. When I was in the combat screen where the stick on the right Joy-Con controls the overhead angle of the camera, the camera angle would slowly drift until it was directly overhead. In the school phase of the game, the camera would do the same thing, drifting away from the optimal position unless I kept my thumb on it. I thought it was just me. Then four other Kotaku staffers, four other Kotaku staffers mentioned that they've also been having problems with Joy-Con drift. That's about a quarter of us. It's a lot more than just the four of us, as it turns out. Two days ago, a thread on the Nintendo Switch subreddit about the issue was upvoted over 25,000 times. This player had started getting issues with drift on their Joy-Con after only four months of use. Quote, and before someone says, contact Nintendo and have them repair it, end quote, they wrote... I shouldn't have to spend $4 in two weeks without my Joy-Cons for them just to send it back again in four months. End quote. Quote, and before someone goes, then buy a do-it-yourself repair kit for $1, again, there's absolutely no reason for me to do that on a luxury controller. End quote. They continued, and yes, I consider $80 a luxury controller because my PS4's DualShock 4 doesn't drift for years for me, and my Pro Controller, which has had all of my extensive rough playtime on it, is also perfectly fine. <clears throat> so... Uh, and here's just a little video of, I think, what they mean by the drift. And this, so basically, the, the person's arguing that right here, I know it's kind of hard to see, but they're basically arguing that in this video, they're not touching the Joy-Cons, yet the character is moving on their own. So just as a visual aid, in case, you know, you're struggling with 
what Joy-Con drift is. Um, and it's, it's a real issue. Again, I can't, I can't say enough. It is a real issue. So, how do you fix it? Well, I can give you a quick fix, and it's a temporary fix. Eventually, it'll start happening again, and it, it's a Band-Aid for the problem. But um, in, the, in the interim, while you're looking to figure it out, the first fix you can have is uh, getting a can of, they call it like electronic motor contact cleaner, or WD-40 makes it. It's not actual WD-40, okay? So don't go spraying WD-40 into your Joy-Cons. But they make a contact cleaner, this, uh, this spray that's meant for electronic contact cleaner. And that's basically a non-conductive spray. So you spray it in there. It's not water-based at all. It's not anything that's going to conduct electricity and short out anything in your controllers. That's basically the gist of it. And so the Joy-Con, if you push the analog stick all the way one way, you'll you'll notice there's a little bit of a gap underneath the rubber. You can actually get the spray nozzle in there, spray a good healthy amount in there, a couple squirts, and then rotate the analog stick clockwise and counterclockwise, you know, I don't know, 10 to 20 times. And that usually fixes the problem. It fixes the problems that I had with the Vita and uh, and some other systems like that. So it is uh, fixable. It is fixable. Uh, but it's a temporary fix. And now the question is, should we have to fix it? And again, the, the Reddit user made very good points. One, should I have to spend $4 and two weeks without my Joy-Con to send it back to get fixed. Well, no, but that is what happens when things go defective. I mean, it's, it, if there was a magical way where Nintendo could, and, and I guess they technically could send you the Joy-Cons first, then you could send your old ones back, and then once you sent them back, they would, uh, you know, that's when they would finish the order or whatever, and then keep those, refurbish them, give them to the next person. That would work. Uh, however, they don't do it that way. You have to send yours in as soon as they get them. They usually will send you a fixed pair already. They don't typically send you your pair back. They will usually send you an already refurbished pair. It's meant to speed up the process. Um, so you're not waiting for your pair specifically to get refurbished, which I mean, I don't think this is a big deal, but there are people out there who are very big purists who would say, I want my original joy cons back. They're mine. I like to keep all original stuff with my original system, yada, yada. And I can understand that. So that is a fix for it, you know, but this all this finally started building over the week and it was more and more news kept coming out and more and more news. And then we finally hear that Nintendo faces a class action lawsuit over drifting Joy-Con controllers. So this article then goes on to say filed by plaintiff Ryan Diaz on July 19th, 2019 in the U.S. District Court for the Western District of Washington of Seattle, Washington at Seattle. Excuse me. The suit alleges that a number of Nintendo Switch owners are experiencing drifting with the Joy-Con controllers. This means movements are being registered in games. When the analog sticks are left untouched, if the drifting gets bad enough, it can render a Joy-Con practically useless. Diaz sent a faulty Joy-Con to Nintendo for repair under the one-year warranty, only to experience drifting again a few months later. At that point, he said he would have to pay for an out-of-pocket repair and decided to purchase two additional left and right Joy-Con controllers for $90 each. Um, that might be an exaggeration. He probably meant 80 but with tax, it's 85 it, Where I live, maybe it's 90 with tax. In California, that probably sounds about right, 10% tax, probably about right. 
Diaz and the class represented in the suit allege that Nintendo was fully aware of the drifting defect from its own pre-release testing and numerous online complaints received from its customers, and yet the company continues to fail to, quote, disclose the defect and routinely refuses to repair the joysticks without charge when the defect manifests and never discloses material defect to consumers, end quote. The suit claims that Diaz's experiences are by no means isolated or outlying occurrences. Indeed, the internet is replete with examples of message boards and other websites where consumers have complained of the exact same Joy-Con defect. Switch owners, the suit says, have suffered an discernible loss of money and or property and or value. Nintendo is specifically being accused of, quote, violations of California consumer fraud statutes, negligent, excuse me, negligent misrepresentation, breach of implied warranty, unjust enrichment, and violations of the federal Magnuson Moss Warranty Act and California Song Beverly Consumer Warranty Act. Huh, that's a lot. The class is seeking monetary relief for damages suffered, uh, declaratory relief as to the party's rights under the defendant's warranty, and public injunctive relief. Okay, so Nintendo's being sued in a class action lawsuit <laughs> over Joy-Con drift. And let me tell you, that's okay. Um, there's nothing wrong with that. But class action lawsuits suck for the consumer. And, and basically what happens is lawyers get very rich in class action lawsuits, and the consumer rarely gets, well, anything. Um, oftentimes, say there's a settlement for... You know, I remember when the when the PlayStation Network was hacked, there was a there and the there was a class action lawsuit about that, and I believe you got a five dollar credit on your PlayStation account. Um, GameStop had a class action lawsuit against them because they were selling new games that had been you know opened and displayed, and so they were new in the sense that they'd never been sold before, but not new in the sense that they were still in the package. That led to GameStop offering everyone who's bought a new game in the last like two years five dollars off. So to the consumer, who cares? The $5 is garbage. Who cares about that? It's just $5. But to the lawyers who got 10% of a $200 million settlement, that's a ton for them. We all had to split the rest and we got the scraps, you know? And so I don't know. I'm not a fan of class action lawsuits anyway. Now, if there would be something like say, hey, everyone gets a free pair of Joy-Cons, that'd be awesome. That'd be worth it to me, you know? But that's not what's going to happen. Typically, what's going to happen is they'll they'll push out the repair date. So they'll say, well, we're going to open up so anyone who's bought a Switch in the last three years can get their Joy-Cons repaired for free. Well, that's okay, except that if they're going to start drifting again in four months, then what's, you know, that that's a, that's an issue. And, and it's okay to love Nintendo and to still be critical of this issue. I can't stress that enough. I love Nintendo. I like the Switch. I think it's a great system. But we are okay to call out issues when it has issues. And to not do so, I think, is being a bad customer. Because you, you should never blindly agree with everything a company does. If you don't like something, you call them out on it. And this is not even just something you don't like. This is a, a, a pretty, in my opinion, substantial defect. And so they'll have to work on fixing it. So, with that being said, hopefully this is something that Nintendo gets on right away. And they finally have responded. So, Nintendo finally responds. And this, this was yesterday. So, this was floating out there for almost a week before Nintendo was able to, to come out and, and say anything. Uh, and uh, so, here we go. Quote, this is Nintendo's statement. Quote, at Nintendo, we take great pride in creating quality products and we are continuously making improvements to them. End quote. A representative from Nintendo told Kotaku in response about Joy-Con drift. 
Uh, they continue to quote, we are aware of recent reports that some Joy-Con controllers are not responding correctly. We want our consumers to have fun with Nintendo Switch. And if anything falls short of this goal, we encourage them to visit support.nintendo.com so we can help, end quote. So that's the most PR statement of the uh, of the month. It's what a PR person would say. You don't get upset at a PR person for doing a PR person's job. But there's not really anything to get excited there. They're basically saying, hey, if your stuff's broken, then go to the website and tell us and we'll fix it. But again, that's the Band-Aid for the problem. We want to know why it's causing, the, why the issue's there, and then how to permanently fix it. And then here's a great, great, great thought. If this issue is not fixed before the Switch Lite comes out, you now have a device that has analog sticks on it that cannot be removed that can go defective. So now imagine you have a Switch Lite. You don't just have to send in your Joy-Cons and wait for them to come back. You have to send in your entire system. You'll be, uh, be without your entire Switch system for that two to three weeks. And that sucks. And then that, that's bad, you know. And that was uh, that's unacceptable in my, in my opinion. So hopefully this problem has been fixed with that but there's not really any evidence to lead us there. Why? How would it have been fixed or why would it have been fixed already when you look at the analogs, they look the same. And again, the mechanism could be different on the inside. We don't know. We haven't seen the Switch Lite torn apart yet. But I doubt it. You know, Nintendo is going to use as much of the same parts as they can to keep production costs down. So this could be a catastrophic issue for their new Switch Lite launch, especially if they're in production and then they find the defect and maybe have to push back the Switch Lite in order to fix the issue and then that that could be disastrous you know you've got that planned you've got it planned launching with the pokemon games i think uh, i think it's the same date and so you've got a lot of stuff there going on and so you certainly don't want to have a delay like this but it is an issue and it needs to be taken care of and i and i certainly hope they do um i i've had drift like i said i've had drift and here's one thing i will say too so the drift i've experienced in other controllers playstation 3 xbox 360 are, are the worst offenders right now some ps4 some xbox one it, to us, it's unfixable, or I should say it's not worth fixing. To buy the parts, to take out the entire arm mechanism, put a new arm mechanism in, desolder, resolder, everything. Maybe on a PS4 and Xbox One controller would be worth it, but certainly not worth it on PS3 and 360. Maybe PS3, but not 360. And uh, so, yeah, it's it's really, it, it is a disappointing issue and something that Nintendo really has to, has to come around and fix. Uh, and it's... It's it's an issue that, you know, people would argue, is it preventable? And and I've had this conversation with a lot of people because, like I said, I haven't noticed it. But I don't use my Joy-Cons ever. So I'm not going to give someone a hard time. And a lot of people obviously have issues with it. But one thing I do remember, when the PlayStation 4 controllers first came out, there was an, an issue where people were claiming that the rubber was really crappy and would rub off and rip really easily. And I had lots of people came in with controllers that were just jacked up rubber on their sticks. Now, from day one, I played a lot of PlayStation 4. I played a lot. It is my main console. It's why I play more than anything. I've never even had wear and tear on my sticks. Sometimes people come in with sticks, and it's smooth rubber. Like, if you've ever seen a PS4 DualShock, I actually happen to have my... This is my original PS4 DualShock, too, by the way, because this is my old system that I use for streaming over here. I don't even have a smoothness here. Like, there's a very mild smoothness around the edges, but it still has the texture of the rubber on the stick. I know you can't really see that. And so how do these people get it to the point where 
they're rubbing the rubber right off it. And I understand some people use their controllers more aggressively. You play a lot of shooters where you're always pushing up and having to click in a stick to sprint. Yes, you're going to get more wear and tear on the bottom of that analog stick. So I'm not saying that it's their fault, but I've seen issues where people say it's an issue and it's like use it's a user issue. As far as these Joy-Cons, though, I've seen Joy-Cons come in that are in like dead mint condition and have drift to them. It's crazy. They, they look perfect and they just have drift. And there's like nothing you can do about it. And so it's obviously it's an issue. It's something Nintendo definitely needs to work on. And I think they will. I think they'll definitely get it fixed in a newer iteration of the system. I'm just curious to know if it's going to be fixed before the Switch Lite comes out when it could be a real problem taking care of your whole system or taking your whole system out of commission instead of just the Joy-Cons. All right, let me clean up my things here. All right, and uh, we're just going to roll right into the next one. So next up on the podcast today, we're going to be talking about San Diego Comic-Con 2019. What a, what a great time of year. It's obviously it's like the biggest comic book convention. I'm just going to guess in the world. Certainly in the United States, but let's just guess it's in the world. And uh, as one would do, Disney laid out the entire Marvel Phase 4, which had a few surprises, a few interesting tidbits. And so we're going to go through a few things here, kind of talk about it a little bit, talk about what I'm excited about, and then, of course, feel free to tweet at me or to... Um, you know, leave a comment on the video and tell me what you're excited for. So Marvel Studios Phase 4, I mean, Disney dropped the knowledge. I mean, they dropped as much information as you could probably possibly drop about the future plans of their franchises. So they even have timelines. May 1st of 2020, so next May, the Black Widow movie's coming out. My understanding is it takes place between Winter Soldier and Civil War, or between Winter Soldier and Endgame. So, I mean, somewhere along the lines in there, there's... Or but yeah, it's some it's somewhere in there. Or uh, or Winter Soldier and um, uh, the first Avengers, <laughs> not Endgame. I'm totally spacing out. Um, but anyway, um, so the Black Widow movie's coming out, and the villain is Taskmaster. It's pretty cool. I, I hope that he is represented well, uh, because that's a, that's a great character. Uh, he he had a great character. He was the one in charge of like the challenges in the Spider-Man game, and Taskmaster is pretty cool. I've also seen him appear in uh, I believe he's in Ultimate Marvel vs. Capcom three. Um, but anyway, so then November 6th, 2020, so later that year, the Eternals movie is coming out. I'll be honest, I don't know anything about the Eternals, but I want to look into it. And that's got a pretty star-studded cast, too. They really went, like, deep uh, getting some big names for that one. So February 21st, a few months after that, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Um, I don't know a lot about the Shang-Chi character, but the Legend of the Ten Rings has to do with Mandarin. And Mandarin, who did make an appearance in Iron Man 3. So Iron Man 3? Yeah, Iron Man 3, but he was like an actor who was pretending to be. It was not good. It was not good. That's all you have to know. So uh, this actually would be the actual Mandarin who uses like these 10 rings of power or whatever. Now, that was when it starts to get a little exciting for me. So May 7th of 2021, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. So Doctor Strange 2, cannot wait. It is also going to have, they said Scarlet Witch will be in that movie. And I hate to say this, but I'm not a fan of that, of their representation of Scarlet Witch. I just don't really like her. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's the weird things she does with her hands, like to do magic pushes. I don't know what it is. I just don't don't like it. I just don't like her representation. And it's not anything against the actress. She does a good job. She was directed to act that way. I don't know. I just like that representation of her. It just, I, I don't know. I'm not feeling it. Nothing. It doesn't pull me in as a kid. I always thought Scarlet Witch was a much stronger character. And I feel like this character is 
just very much like a side character, back character. And who knows? Um, it takes sometimes a certain movie to to bring that out. Um, arguably, Thor Ragnarok was the one that really brought Thor out and made him unique and awesome as a character. It, it, it made him stand out. And speaking of Thor, Thor 4, November 5th, 2021. So two years uh, this coming November. Thor Love and Thunder bringing back Natalie Portman as female Thor. It's going to be pretty awesome. I cannot wait. And they're bringing back the director of Thor Ragnarok. I, I know his name. I just don't want to slaughter it and like sound um, like an idiot because I don't know how to pronounce the name properly. But uh, he's back. I cannot wait for that movie. I think it'll be very good. And I would like to see Natalie Portman's character brought to life by a director who's a little more fun with everything uh, like he is. <clears throat> um, so those were the movies that were laid out. And then they talked about the TV shows. Now, these are Disney Plus streaming exclusives, so you got to get Disney's streaming service. So much like video game launchers, you have to have TV show and movie launchers now at 800 different apps to watch everything you want to watch. So fall of 2020, so next fall, Falcon and Winter Soldier. So that's we knew about, we knew that was coming already, but uh, that's what it's called, the Falcon and Winter Soldier. Uh, then the Loki series is next spring after that. Then it's the WandaVision one is also that spring, uh, so the same time around the same time as Loki. Now this one's really appealing to me, mostly because I was a huge fan of the comic books growing up. Uh, they're doing What If in summer of twenty one. If you don't know what What If is, when I was growing up in the when uh, in the eighties and nineties, there were What If comic books that would say something along the lines of What If uh, Venom had possessed the Punisher instead of Spider Man. And so it was it was an alternate reality comic book where they said, what if, you know, this was different than this? I have so many what if comics. I love so many of them because I'm, I'm a huge fan of like alternate realities and like possibilities or looking down. This happened. What would happen if this happened and seeing like the timeline change? Some of my favorites are uh, what if, like I said, the what if Venom had possessed the Punisher. There was one that said, what if Punisher had killed Spider-Man or was it? Yeah, Spider-Man. Then there was one that was, uh, what if Wolverine fought Weapon X? And it's a really alternate take. Instead of instead of Logan being put into the Weapon X program, he escapes. They bring someone else into the Weapon X program who breaks out and goes wild, and they send Logan to hunt Weapon X. Very cool. Like, just alternate, very cool stuff. Um, and so that is actually going to be an animated series. And they're getting the voice actors from the movies to play the characters in the animation. Awesome absolutely awesome uh and then in fall of 2021 they're gonna have a hawkeye series that's also gonna bring in the, the theme of that is gonna be hawkeye training someone uh to re, like to the, the other hawkeye the, the replacement hawkeye for him i forget the character name uh but that's gonna be really awesome a hawkeye series i think will be really good um the, the hawkeye uh trades i've been reading over the last couple of years are pretty good too uh, mostly because they focus on him being a regular person uh, one of my favorite parts about that book is that you know, you talk about how we've got a guy in an iron suit, a super soldier, a god of thunder, and I'm a guy who's really good at shooting a bow and arrow. <laughs> like that's that you don't think about that sometimes. Like he's a superhero, but is he really? I mean, he's he's a regular person who's just very good at his at his craft. If you really break it down to obviously the most basicness of it. So that's kind of what they announced for their quote unquote phase four. Looks awesome. I mean, I can't wait. But this is definitely the point where you can see in this list that. They're digging, they're, they're going to, what do I want to say? They're going a little bit further on the bench. They're going to pull the more obscure stuff. You know, you ran through, 
your Avengers, you ran through Captain America, you ran through the big, biggest names you have on your roster, and now you have to kind of dig a little deeper. But once you establish the universe, I think that's awesome. They later went on, and they didn't show them any footage, but they later went on to announce that uh, they're doing a new Blade movie, which it's going to star, I forget his name, it's uh, something Ali, and he is he was in True Detective Season 3, but also he was Cottonmouth in uh, the Luke Cage Netflix series. So if you saw that, so that actor is going to be the new Blade. Mm, I'm very excited for that. I like him a lot as an actor. He also played Remy in House of Cards, if you watch that. Awesome actor. I think he'll do awesome as Blade. I'm really, really excited for that. And then they didn't really talk about dates or anything like that, but they did announce that both the Fantastic Four and the X-Men are coming and they'll be introduced in the upcoming years. Now, Fantastic Four, I won't lie, I've never liked. I've never liked the Fantastic Four. I don't know why. Um, my friend Dustin, who I went and saw Spider-Man with, he he loves Fantastic Four. I think that's like his favorite, them and Spider-Man. I just never got into it. I don't know why. I mean, I don't really have a reason to hate it. I love Doom as a villain, uh, but I never liked the Fantastic Four. I don't know what it was. But the X-Men... Oh, baby. Now, you if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you know that I'm a huge X-Men fan. I, I painstakingly watch all the movies. I went and saw Phoenix, Dark Phoenix, and it was okay. <laughs> it wasn't good. It wasn't it wasn't unwatchable, but it wasn't good. It was just, it was a movie. And so, I love the X-Men, though. They are my favorite. The X-Men and Spider-Man are my favorite, like, superheroes and comics of all time. Comic heroes of all time. Specifically in the X-Men, I would say Gambit, Wolverine... Um, you know, Cyclops, anybody who was in the nineties animated show, probably Iceman, one of my favorites. Um, and so to have them done proper could be pretty incredible. And I'm really, really hoping it's done proper. Some of the later X-Men stuff I haven't liked and the comics have really struggled for a while. So much so, in fact, they're kind of rebooting all the X-Men stuff right now at Marvel comic book wise. And I, I don't know, I've had a real issue, like, even the AVX, the Avengers versus the X-Men comic stuff, it just seemed weird. They kept trying to make the X-Men like this, well, you know, we've been, we're, we're on this island, we do things the way we want to do, and we don't care who gets in the, like, they had this weird, you know, angle, and they made, they turned Cyclops into, like, this ruthless, do-anything leader, and they exiled Professor X because, you know, he apparently, like, you know, and this, I know a lot of people aren't going to agree with me on this, that that read a lot of comic books, but one of my f- least favorite things in comic books over the last few years was the lore that Professor X was secretly like an asshole. And so they talk about how Professor X is really kind of a jerk and then he essentially gets exiled or he leaves because everyone found out he was a fraud or something like well that, I liked him being not I, I was okay with the fact that he would go he would sometimes breach what was decent and bound he would breach boundaries trying to do what he thought was right. And you make mistakes when you do that. You know, the old adage, you know, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. You know, that's always how I looked at Professor X, you know. And now, they, but they did a lot of years, they tearing him down, tearing him down. And that's frustrating to me. And then they put Cyclops up there as like this ruthless end-all leader character, you know. And it's it's whatever, not my favorite. So if they follow that very closely, uh, I don't know, that could be disappointing for me. But if they look... And I know it sounds crazy. If they look to the 90s, look to that animated show, take that snapshot of the Marvel Universe when you could argue that the 90s, the X-Men were king. Man, just take that and apply that to the modern X-Men, thematically speaking. Obviously, the costumes and stuff you have to work on. 
But I'm excited for it, though, still. So Blade, Fantastic Four, X-Men, and all this stuff in Phase 4 that's that's announced. So all good stuff. I mean, Marvel knows how to get people excited, and uh, and they have certainly done it. All right. And that's it for stories today. So let's, uh, let's start with our... Drum roll, please. All right, it's time for our game of the week. <laughs> so this one, like I was saying earlier, this one's a sleeper and a banger. It's fun, but it'll put you to sleep. <laughs> Not that that's what sleeper means. Um, but the game we're going to talk about today, on the regular Nintendo, the NES, Nintendo Entertainment System, we're talking Wall Street Kid. Wall Street Kid. Okay, the Wall Street Kid. This game is a simulation of playing Wall Street, buying stocks, selling stocks. Sounds pretty boring, right? How'd this game ever get made? Well, that's a good question because it is kind of boring. But it's not just about that. It's about life and work balance. The goal, uh, I want to say, what's the? I think the first, the first level, quote unquote, stage, whatever. The first level is uh, you have to buy a house. Is it that, or you have to? You have to afford an engagement ring for your wife. Something like that. But basically the idea is you want to get married. I think you have to buy a house or you have to get a ring or something. You only have so much time in a day to trade different stocks and to make money. Well, you also have to take your fiance out on dates or she'll leave you. Um, you also you have to like balance it all. It's crazy. And then you have to take time for yourself. And then you have to trade stocks and make money. So it's like this really weird life work balance simulator. It's called Wall Street Kid. The, the front looks like a, um, I'm describing it to the podcast listeners, but the front looks like a uh, like a comic book, and it says, use it or lose it, and there's the fiancé saying, my hero, and then you've got a briefcase that says, top secret, you're standing on piles of money, and it says, featuring Ruth, the ruthless banker, Stanley, the crafty consultant. Here's the back of the box. Where life, love, and money all depend on how well you play the game, make billions of dollars when you deal with giants of wall street not only do you take risks by playing the stock market but you must prove you can uphold a high standard of living if you dream of fame and fortune this life simulation game is your way to the top you can taste the victory of success but only if you're strong enough to face the challenge of life now are you ready to deal and then on the back there's a ls logo that says life simulation game i don't know if the publisher so fell if they had a plan to make like a series of life simulation games, but this one. Now, I played this as a kid, and it, it really stuck with me. I've never finished it or anything, and maybe it's because I was poor growing up, and who doesn't wish about having like lots of money? But it's kind of a fun game. Uh, check it out. I don't know if I could recommend it to buy it, but maybe check it out sometime. Wall Street Kid Nintendo Entertainment System. So then that leads us to, drum roll please. Now it's our game pickups of the week. Oh boy. Now this pile, I, I mean, in comparison, it's probably not that bad to other weeks. But it's up there. <laughs> so, all right, let me organize it a little bit. Okay, here we go. So, first up, we have... It's an import for Xbox 360. It's a triple pack. It's got three games on it that were only released digitally ever on the 360. Beyond Good and Evil HD, the game From Dust, and the reason I bought it, Outland. Outland is a really awesome, like, Metroid, Castlevania-type, like, open-world, side-scrolling RPG. 
but it's got this red and blue mechanic. So you can switch between red and blue and you either eat the, you can eat the red bullets. If you're red, you can eat the blue if you're blue as far as like, I should say, absorb them and you don't take damage. So they integrate that into the puzzles too. Like you have to get through a red barrier. So you have to switch to red and then you switch back to blue to go through a blue barrier. And so and then a boss will be shooting blue orbs at you. Switch to blue so you can absorb the damage. And then, but he can only be damaged by red. So you have to switch to red, damage him. You know, it's very, very interesting stuff. I guess very similar to Ikaruga. If you've ever played that on the GameCube or now on PS4 and Steam, Ikaruga has a black and white system. It's a shmup where you're, it's a, a vertical shoot 'em up. But uh, you have, um, uh, it's a vertical shoot 'em up, but you have like this black and white tendency that you switch between, which is pretty cool. Um, so that was, and that's actually, this is an import. This is Peggy 12, which means that's a, a, a PAL import. PAL is the, the European region. Uh, next up, I finally got a nice copy of this in my collection, a copy of Lost Odyssey for the Xbox 360. It's an RPG. I would say it's a Mistwalker RPG, uh, similar in vain to like a Final Fantasy, very realistic looking characters. But you play as somebody who's like immortal and it, you go through the different times and you get different, you know, it, it, there's actually some really cool stuff going on here. Uh, very fun RPG, and as you all know, I'm in a very big Japanese RPG kick right now. Continuing that trend around the PS2, I got a copy of Atelier Iris 2. Um, I've never played the second one, but when I was collecting PS2 RPGs when they were coming out, I played the first Atelier Iris, and I actually really liked it. Now, these have since went on to spawn about a billion Atelier games, like Atelier Rorona, Atelier Kushala, Kush Atelier Buttbeard. I don't know. <laughs> There's a million Atelier games, and they all aren't very good. Mururu, um, Atelier Mururu. This is Atelier Iris. One and two were both on PS2. And I think the third one is two, but they're pretty good. These are these are actually good. The Iris games were good. Uh, sticking with the PS2, I picked up a copy of Jade Cocoon 2. This was a kind of a weird, almost like a tactical RPG. Um, it's a sequel to a PS1 game called Jade Cocoon, but the sequel's pretty good, and it's actually developed by Genki. Now this studio does some of my favorite game series, but not in this genre. Genki is uh, some of my favorite games that uh, are the Tokyo Extreme Racer series. Tokyo Extreme Racer 1 and 2 on the Dreamcast, Zero, which was a remake of 2 on the PS2, uh, and then some of the later iterations. Um, shifting to PS4, I got a copy, my physical copy of Shakedown Hawaii on PS4. So Shakedown Hawaii is the sequel to Retro City Rampage. If you don't know what either of those games are, basically, Retro City Rampage is like a it's a reimagining of the old school grand theft auto so not three and vice city but older than that if you remember grand theft auto one and two were these cool top-down uh games uh like a bird's eye view so these games do that but one they have a whole bunch of pop culture references a lot of 80s 90s pop culture references and it's all pixel art so it's amazing looking and it kind of makes fun of the grand theft auto series you know like i said a lot of pop culture references a lot of gaming references and it's really funny stuff there's like references to the delorean stuff like that it's really really good shakedown hawaii is the follow-up to that game so it's just bigger badder in every single way um and then this was the physical edition it's been out digital for a while but finally the physical came in you can only buy physical games specifically from the developer's website um v blank interactive i believe is the website um, and then lastly, I'm going to finish up with a couple of imports first on the Sega Saturn. I picked up a Sega Saturn import called steam gear mash. And I don't know anything about this game. I'll be totally honest. It just looked really cool. It's an isometric view, very cartoony kind of pixel looking graphics, but it looks like a, like an action action RPG kind of, I don't really know how, what to describe it. I watched a video of it. It looked pretty cool. So, you know, I'll maybe have more info on that later. 
And then this one, this one I just picked up recently. This is, uh, I actually didn't know they made this. And then when I saw it, I had to have it. But I'm a huge XCOM fan, if you don't know. XCOM on the PS1 is an excellent, excellent uh, tactical turn-based game. I guess you even say it's an RPG because you level up your soldiers and stuff. But it's also a base simulator. You have to, you know, build a base. You have to research weapons that you find off of dead aliens so that you can kill stronger aliens and so on and so forth. Well, on the PC, they did an expansion called Terror from the De uh, Terror of the Deep. Terror from the Deep, excuse me. Terror from the Deep. And the story was that all the alien UFOs you shot down in the first game, the ones that crashed into the water, the aliens survived underwater, and now they were starting to come up. Well, that wasn't on the PlayStation 1. We just got the regular XCOM. Actually, it was on the PlayStation 1, just not in the United States. So I got the PAL version. Actually, I think it's a German version. It's still PAL, but I think it's German. Um, but it's got multiple language on the back, which is awesome. And it's actually a physical copy of Terror from the Deep for PS1. This is this makes me very happy. And the booklet, by the way, is like 300 pages. It's the thickest booklet I've ever seen on a PS1 game. But it's just really cool to me. XCOM Terror from the Deep, which is a PC game I did play when I was playing XCOM back in the day. But since I have XCOM and love it so much on PS1, having the expansion on PS1, very, very cool. So I'm very glad. And that is my uh, pickup pile of the week. So just a... Uh, two, three, four, five, six, just a, a measly seven games we put in our collection uh, uh, over the last week. All right. So we got our game of the week out of the way. We got our pickups out of the weeks out of the way. So here comes our listener question, and then we're going to wrap it all up, and we'll be on our way for the week. The listener question, why do you think the summer slump is prevalent in the entertainment industry, especially so in video games? I've found that a lot of AAA video games tend to huddle their releases back-to-back -back during the holiday season. What are some of the drawbacks from releasing a game during the summer, and why do you think many studios avoid this? That's a very good question. Thank you for that. So first I would say, uh, the summer slump in entertainment, I can't speak to... Well, I can't speak to um, movies, because movies actually strive in the summer. So that's one of the areas I don't think would count in the entertainment industry. But a lot of TV shows... Uh, a lot of TV shows, the traditional TV shows, are doing reruns during the summer. Um, a lot of new shows come out. Mostly, I think it's because, and this is as far as TV goes, summer's the time when the less people are home, to be quite honest. Um, more people are outside doing things. We see that a lot with video game sales as well. It just doesn't seem to be... It doesn't seem to be the time of year when people want to be indoors. So I think that's a part of it. But also, I think a part of it, especially when it comes to video games, is not so much that they're avoiding summer but that they're trying to hit the holiday. And so a lot of video game retailers think that holiday is the key to being successful. So it's gotten a lot better over the years as people have, as companies have realized this, but it used to be there wouldn't be a single game that would come out between May and October. And then November, you would have 50 games in a month that you wanted to play. And so I think, but that's what it was. Everybody was trying to get out for Christmas. Everybody wants to be the hot toy on shelves during the holiday shopping season. So it wasn't so much to trying to avoid the summer, but if you're going to release a game in August, you might as well just wait two more months, get two more months of development time and release it in October, November, right? So I think that's, that's the thought process. However, it has been changing <clears throat> and this is a good change, but it's been changing uh, in the, in the extent that they finally realized, well, yeah, Christmas is a good time to release games. But not if there's 50 other games that you're competing for with, you know, with customers' money. And so what started happening, too, was a lot of games were scheduled for the for the holiday season, October, November. 
And then there were some sort of hiccups and delays. So then you saw a lot of games getting delayed until January, February, and March. And I think after there was a lot of data out there on how that all worked, people were able to say, well, since, you know, since the, you know, there were so many games in the holiday anyway, we released our game in February, we sold just as well. We, we broke our anticipated sales goals. Um, and, and I'm a firm believer of that too. If you make a good game, people will buy it. It is that simple. That is the formula. Make a really good game and people will buy it. And a little bit and, and, a, and, a, and a dash of marketing. Okay, you got to have good marketing. That, that's what I do. In fact, as much as I'd love to make another game in my life, uh, which I am working on one, but I don't know if I'll ever finish it. But if, if I besides working on another game, uh, I could sell the shit out of these. And not just in the retail space. I could, I could go to... I could be a marketing person, any company, and I could, I could tell them how to reach out and, uh, and grab people's attentions with their products, which actually is something that sounds really fun. I won't lie. <laughs> I'd really like to do that. Be like a marketing and a sales rep person for, you know, Blizzard or something. My God, not that they even, not that they don't, you know, how to have PR and marketing, but there's a, there's a lot of subtle marketing that goes on. But anyway, I'm getting a little off track. So uh, also one thing that plays a little bit into that all is that you do have, uh, business quarters that are broken up. So fiscal quarters, um, the end of a fiscal year is not typically December 31st. That's why they have what they call a fiscal year. And then of course we have what we have a calendar year. So the f most companies end of a fiscal year is March. Um, so a lot of companies would say, well, we missed the holiday rush. But as long as we get this game out before the end of the fourth quarter, we get some sales in, that'll boost our numbers for the fourth quarter, boost our numbers for the end of year, for the fiscal year, and then we can show our shareholders and stuff that we're making more money. So then companies were saying, well, it sucks we couldn't make November, but as long as we get out by February or March, we're okay. And so I think there was also something to be said along the lines of, well, nobody's releasing games these months anyway, because that's another really dry time. You talk about the summer being dry for the longest time. January and February and March were ghost towns for games because it was after Christmas. Nobody's releasing a game after Christmas. Occasionally the game that missed a deadline, missed a release date, you know, you'd see, but it was, it was bad for a while. So, uh, so that's changing. Uh, Konami or excuse me, Capcom loves January releases and February releases. They're, they're dropping bangers. Like a couple years ago, it was monster hunter, uh, and then it was last year, it was, uh, you know, Resident Evil 2 remake and then uh, Devil May Cry 5. Like, they love that time frame. Um, so we're seeing it, it spread out a lot more now, which is good because I don't want to have to try to play 10 games in November. I'd rather play one game a month between, you know, March and November instead of 10 in November. Uh, so that's what I really think it is. Um, and then... Uh, what are some of the drawbacks from releasing a game during the summer, and why do you think many studios avoid this? Uh, I don't think there's really any drawbacks. I think there are fewer people playing games. In my business, what I see, and again, it's anecdotal, what I see in my business is that there is a true thing as spring cleaning. Usually for us, it's late spring, early summer, where people come in and they go, you know what, I'm not going to be playing this PS4. I really want to get like some new fishing equipment because I'm going to go fishing all summer. Or all oh, me and the guys want to go you know, uh, rafting, uh, for a week up north, so we're we're gonna sell this stuff to get money, and so people do that, and then they'll come back when it gets when the weather gets crappy, and they'll they'll buy it back again, and so we see that a lot. Uh, but there are certainly summer releases that come out. In fact, uh, I would say the three most memorable ones were about three. Is it four years ago now? Probably four years ago. I think 2015, if I remember correctly, it was 2015 or 2016. I want to say 2015. It was 
Batman Arkham Knight, Witcher 3, and Metal Gear Solid 5 all came out in a three-month period. But it was between June, July, and August, I think. Or like May, June, and August or something like that. So that was three like awesome summer hits. Uh, so yeah, I, I think it was one of it. It was people were always trying to hit the holiday release. Now they realize the video game industry is so big, you don't need to do that because people are going to buy your stuff anyway. So you've got that. Uh, and then you've got, so they want to spread it out because it's, it's better to not release it a holiday. And, and then, and that was the thing too, is you were competing with, with in untouchable games. You were competing with call of duty every year. You know, you'd compete with Red Dead Redemption. You're competing with Grand Theft Auto, you know? And so why compete with those games that everyone's going to buy when you could come out three months earlier? And even even now you can see Call of Duty is moving earlier and earlier as they start to see different things. They're, they're coming out in October now instead of November. Like even, even them to maximize their profits, they want to come out and be out for the holiday season. But they also want to be out before everybody else. So... Um, so yeah, so great question. Thank you very much. That was fun to talk about a lot of different angles on that. Um, with that being said, that is it for the podcast today. Thank you everybody as always for listening and watching. You can follow me on Twitter at game trade, Greg, that's Greg with two G's at the end. Um, you can of course subscribe to us on YouTube. We're at youtube.com slash drop rate, or if you go to YouTube and just search for drop rate, look for the DR logo. That's our channel. And if you type in something like drop rate, Billy Mitchell, that'll definitely bring us up because all my Billy Mitchell videos are, are my most viewed videos there. So it's just an easy way to find us. Uh, you can follow us on Twitch, twitch.tv slash the drop rate. Or again, just search for the drop rate. When you go on the Twitch, um, we do our podcast there live every Monday night at 7 PM central time. We did it last night. Uh, it was a lot of fun. And then of course I have game talk radio on SoundCloud, or if you just want to listen to it on iTunes, if you listen to this on SoundCloud and you want to listen on iTunes, go to the iTunes podcast app and just search for game talk radio that is this podcast here. And like I said, on YouTube, if you'd rather listen to this in small bursts, like the stories, I do put those up on the, on the YouTube drop rate channel. So again, thank you everybody as always for listening and watching. You're all great. I do this every week. You know, I, I, uh, I, I dread it sometimes because it's just an obligation I have, but as I do it, I always love it. And I, and I, I do appreciate it. And, it, and, and uh, even when I have a busy day or I, I like, I have to feel like I have to squeeze it in and take some personal time off to, to work on some of this. I so much love it. And I only do it because you all keep listening to it. So thank you. Thank you so much for all that. You all are great. If you keep listening, I'll keep podcasting. I promise. So thank you again, everybody. We'll talk to you next week. Have a good one. Bye-bye. <laughs>